1: finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some
0: of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb
1: while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think. And you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host because your home is might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan though the kids prefer them the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make health
2: kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. Welcome to
0: How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking ditching work you hate and landing the job you want with Ashley Stahl.
1: Today on the show, we are talking with career expert Ashley Stahl. And since we're talking about jobs, Ashley has quite the impressive resume. She uh, interned with Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor. She uh, pursued a career in counterterrorism while getting her master's degree in war studies in London. Uh, And then she worked for the Pentagon running an award-winning program. Uh, But then, you know, even with all that success, Ashley still felt a degree of uncertainty uh, until she finally changed her career path. Ashley is now a career coach where she empowers people to discover their authentic careers, uh, land more job offers uh, and then launch their dream businesses as well. So, Ashley, we're excited to talk to you. Thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited.
1: Ashley, we're excited too. Glad to have you on the show. And
0: yeah, the, the first question that we ask anybody who comes on How to Money is, uh, you know, well, Matt and I, we drink a beer on every episode because we like beer and we're willing to spend a good bit of money on tasty, um, delicious craft beer, even though some people might say that's crazy or that's too much. Um, mm-hmm. So do you have something like that in your life that you're willing to splurge on in the here and now, even while you're trying to save and invest and be thoughtful about your future?
3: Yes. I love to spend on skincare. Just the other day, I got a facial and she was like, what are we going for today? And I'm like, I want to look like my skin is 10 years old. So, (laughs) you know, I'm drinking, I'm 34 and I'm drinking that Fountain of Youth vibe right now. And I just think that That should also be the name of a beer. (laughs) Yeah. Fountain of Youth. Well, and you know what? I think that feeling good about yourself, you know, obviously comes from the inside, but it really helps when you feel good on the outside too. (laughs)
1: When you know you've uh, taken all the steps, uh, all the reasonable steps you can uh, on the outside, I would say both Joel and my, both of our wives are pretty into that as well. They, I don't know, I feel like they every other week they're kind of researching the the next thing that their friends are talking (laughs) about whether that's oils or different serums my wife does it on like the cheap but she has these like these masks
0: that that she and my daughters will use sometimes they'll put on their face (laughs) and they're like kind of crazy alien like colors (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) um but apparently it works so Uh, yeah the the more alien
3: you look the more it's working (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love that. Uh, actually, you know, before we talk about finding the work you love, I'm interested in hearing a little about your own personal finance journey. What did you learn about money growing up? Uh, what was your money story and, and how has that impacted your view towards money now as an adult?
3: Yeah. I mean, everybody has a money story, right? I think we come into the world and our thermostats and our mindset is kind of set by our parents about what's possible with money, how easy or hard it can be, how available it is. I think in my case, I had an entrepreneurial dad who dropped out of college, created a financial firm and really had a lot of success until later, um, when I was around five, six, he had to make the really hard choice to close his company, the market Hmm. changed, and he had 300 employees and a huge office space, and nearly had to claim bankruptcy. And during that time, I'll never forget, around my 10th birthday, and I write about this in my book, he... Got me luggage, which most of my birthdays, he had gotten me really fancy things. Like one time he got a train that went around the entire house that I could ride. Oh, wow. Yeah, really extra gifts. And (laughs) this particular year, it was luggage. And I remember seeing the outside of the box when I was 10 and thinking to myself, there must be something else in the box. It's not luggage. And when it was, I was just being a spoiled kid and I had a meltdown. Mm. And I'll never forget it because he it was the first time i realized what money was Hmm. it was the first time i realized that when you don't have it what you can have changes and i guess that's a very privileged reality that i didn't really know what money was until i was 10 because there was so much of it but when he lost it and we had to move and let go of our home i ended up liking the fact that we had a smaller home because i remember thinking oh he's closer to my bedroom you know my parents are closer to me (laughs) which is funny to see how kids think about money and their home versus parents who are kind of stuck in the more, more, more focus. Um, So yeah, that was kind of my first experience of money was realizing that my dad lost it, realizing that presence would change from it. And that day, my dad ended up having a panic attack because I had such a horrible tantrum over this gift. And I went to his bedroom and he was not only crying, but he was struggling to breathe a little bit. And here I am 10 years old. And I said, are you okay?" And he said, yeah, this is just going to kill me. And I said, what's going to kill you, dad? And he said, money. Mm. And from that moment on, I had a lot of competing beliefs about money. And I think a lot of people who are listening now, I would hope that they would look back in time. Like, what is the moment that you realized what money was and ask yourself, what were you making what, what beliefs were you making in your head about the person you were talking to or listening to, yourself, money, the world? What did it mean for you? For me, it meant nothing's fun without money anymore. And I'm in charge of saving everyone because I don't want my dad to die. So money can kill you. So it was a lot of like, I need it, but it might kill me if I go get it. And so you can kind of see that show up in my adult life. I'm a high achiever. I am an entrepreneur and obviously there was quite a pivot leaving counterterrorism and starting a career coaching business. (laughs) Uh, But in that pivot, starting online courses, I worked really hard to get a course on how to get a job out into the world. And after years and debt, I ended up uh, thriving and getting thousands of customers in just a couple of months from a webinar that I had made and overnight i went from negative 100k to you know around 4 million dollars in revenue wow. and it was like my my brain wasn't equipped to hold that kind of success because mm. i had so much fear from my childhood of losing money and i sabotaged my business right when i saw all the money coming in i hired a bunch of lawyers and said can you make sure that i'm making this right, and that I'm in integrity, and I'm following all the rules. There's a lot of rules online. And I turned off my entire business because they told me they needed a month to look through all my materials. And when I turned my advertising back on, it wasn't converting the same. And I had a ton of overhead, I had a team to pay for. I had employees, and the numbers just weren't adding up. So I ended up going into debt just like my dad had. And I spent a lot of years in my late 20s paying off that debt. And now, you know, I'm speaking on stages about success, about resilience. You know, when I lost all my money, my sister also passed away. It was a lot that happened. And I'm really committed to helping people see where their blind spots are when it comes to money, because that first step of having awareness is so important.
0: Yeah, and it's it's it can be tough as an individual one to go back and, and look through your past and figure out what are those you know, defining moments that impact your everyday thinking about money. And yeah. sometimes it's it's uh, yeah, it's emotionally difficult um, to, to process those things, but it's so crucial so that we can um, you know, prevent making those same mistakes again, right? Like, uh, so that we can avoid history repeating itself. Um, Actually, I want to ask you, like, you mentioned that pivot, actually, from counterterrorism, uh, you know, that you worked in before you started your own business as a career coach. I really enjoyed kind of reading about your your first career there in your book. But like, what made you choose that career path initially? And then why did you choose to, you know, leave behind a successful career um, in search of kind of starting your own thing?
3: Yeah. I mean, you mean that counterterrorism to career coach isn't an obvious career.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's doing it. Just the classic progression. Uh. Yeah.
3: Obviously, I came out of the womb and I was like, I'm meant to be a career expert. (laughs) Um, You know, I grew up in a house where the news was always on. My dad was really into politics and sometimes he even still gets on his soapbox. And I feel like vote for you. Vote for you, Al, because he's so (laughs) political. And so it was really natural for me to have an interest in that because I was surrounded by it. I had uncles uh, on the opposite side of the political aisle from my dad. So they were like, fighting at the Sunday night dinner table, and my mom was always trying to, you know, make them quiet down. <laughs> and I also had a ton of family on the East Coast during 9 11. So I was really impacted by the fear that I saw in my parents' faces that day. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are millennials, especially, they remember where they were standing when they yeah. got that news. And so I remember thinking to myself, like, I can fix this. I can help with this. And I was interested in politics. We were always talking about it. So when I got to college, I went to the career services office and I didn't know what to major in, but I knew I was interested in politics. And What I didn't realize at the time is that, and now as a career expert, I could tell anyone, there's a big difference between what you're interested in and what you're naturally talented at. And they don't always reconcile. And your natural skills are so much more important for your career than your interests. That's why a lot of my message in my book, in my talks online is all about not following your passion, even though your passion matters. So I I wasn't really privy to this yet. I go to the career services office, And I told the woman, you know, I don't know what to major in. And she gave me all those three-worded tirades we all hear, you know, follow your passion, do what you love. And I remember thinking to myself, like, well, you know, I'm passionate about cupcakes and, you know, (laughs) spa treatments, but I don't think I'm a good masseuse and I don't think I'm a good baker. And, you know, in retrospect, being a good consumer of something doesn't mean you're a good producer of that thing. And I think that's the disconnect, especially with the millennial generation and even Gen Z, you know, especially when you look at Generation X, like, uh, you know, they were taught to respect ranking order, stay in a company, lock in and grow, whereas the millennial generation were job hopping. And I think a lot of that is not only because of the recession, which really influenced our options and the, the pain of a lot of debt, but also you know, it made people jump around a lot because they were trying to find themselves based on this awful advice of following your passion. So I left the career services office more confused than ever. And I majored in three things because I was indecisive. And I picked uh, politics, history, and French because foreign languages always came easy to me. And yeah, I I did everything from that point on. There was something about having a plan that felt so good to me. And I just wanted to be the the next, you know... um, what was her name in zero dark 30, you know, that, that, that actress and (laughs) the
1: smart lady, (laughs) the smart lady in zero dark 30.
3: I wanted to be her. And, and so I just gave everything, but what I was missing was, you know, there's two dynamics in any career path. The first one is the what meaning what you do, what your skills are. That's how you use your mind, your body and your heart all day long. So that matters a lot. The second is the how that has to do with your core values, your energy, your priorities, given that 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, what we can assume to be true from that is that how your job looks matters just as much as what your job is. So for me, I went to grad school and I had these moments where I was like, wow, I am way too sensitive to be working in national security. What am I doing here? But I let my interest override my core nature, the mm. fact that I was a sensitive, soft hearted woman who wasn't really meant to be in a world where there's a lot of death, there's a lot of uh, vigilance, there's a lot of fear. Either way, I kind of silence those voices. And, you know, like many of us, we hear about very limited careers as a kid. We hear about being an astronaut or a teacher or a lawyer. We don't hear about... You know, all these other options. So I just followed it. I went to the best school I could in London. I went to King's College London and the Department of War. I studied security. I learned I became fluent in French and I started learning Arabic. And then I graduated and couldn't get a job in the middle of the recession. Slept on my parents' couch for a few months too long. And Ended up taking what I could get. And that got me to an ad agency making minimum wage. And I was taking Arabic classes at UCLA at night. And then one day it struck me because I just felt such a hopelessness. Because it's one thing not to like your job. It's a whole other thing to not know where you want to go next. That's like a hopelessness Mm. and a pain that I wish for no one. And I think it really is why I'm in this business. Because I know what that feels like. And so I just contacted my university and said, do you have a list Of people who have graduated and moved to Washington, DC. And the Department of Government ended up sending me 2,000 names and emails. And I ended up emailing and calling all 2,000 people over four to six months. And after I started getting kind of a conversion rate, like, you know, falling on my face, saying Mm -hmm. the wrong thing, starting to get people to respond. I ended up feeling confident to quit my job and move to DC and six weeks later, I had three job offers and I landed my position at the Pentagon. But what's so interesting about this is that along my way into the government, I discovered how much I loved job hunting and it was (laughs) so needed. So many people were underemployed during the recession. And they would come to me and say, how'd you get such a cool job? I tripled my salary, which, I mean, when you're making minimum wage isn't the most impossible thing, but I was so proud to almost be making six figures. I was, you know, in my early 20s and I got a management opportunity for a defense contractor at the Pentagon. So I was just really grateful. And then on the weekends, I started helping people land job offers. Friends would ask me to redo their resume And they would all say, you should be a career coach. And I just remember thinking, like, what does that even mean? Like, what is a career Hmm. coach? Do they, like, cheer on the sidelines of your career like a hockey coach? You know, it's like,
0: how do you even do that?
3: Yeah. And what kind of career do I even have to coach off of? Like, I was in my early 20s. So I just stuck to what I knew, which was how to talk to people and how to get job offers. Because I got so many job offers. And... That was what eventually got me into having a podcast, creating online courses, and now writing mm-hmm. a book about how to find your purpose in the workforce.
1: Exactly. Well, actually, we're going to dive into so much of that. We're going to talk about finding the right career. We're going to talk about how it is that you were able to network so well and to uh, get all those job offers. But, you know, like there are a lot of folks who are thinking about quitting their job right now. There's some stats out there that show that four in 10 folks are strongly considering uh, something completely new. You've said that an even larger percentage of folks are actually just casually (laughs) job hunting on the reg. So what would you say to our listeners who are among that number uh, and they're wanting to pursue something new?
3: Yeah. I mean, first of all, the pandemic has had a lot of research. We've seen uh, nine out of 10 in some surveys, people are saying in the workforce that they're burnt out. Wow. So even if you love what you do, if you're burnt out, that's a quick recipe to not love what you do, you know? uh, I love shopping, but I don't wanna shop at one in the morning, you know? So it's like (laughs) everybody has boundaries with their relationship with what they love. Exactly. Um, I, I would say if you are feeling disconnected in your work, the first order of business is just to reconnect to yourself because a lot of people say that they need clarity when in reality, they just need to connect to themselves. And what that really means is, first of all, stop listening to the noise. We've heard so much noise. We've been so domesticated since we were little kids, told what paths are there for us. We are so afraid to not survive in the world. You know, there's typical gender roles that very much still exist. You know, you have a lot of men, especially, who are feeling pressure to provide. You have women who are feeling pressure to get a certain place before they have kids. And More than ever, that pressure is making us exhausted and disconnected. So I would say anybody listening right now, first order of business, connect to yourself. Come up with a list of people, of places, of things that make you feel yourself. And I have a lot of girlfriends that I love, but there's a couple in particular where after I talk to them, I just feel myself again. Um, there's things I love to do. I love dance classes. I love putting my feet in the ocean. It's so grounding for me. And when I make space for those things, I feel more me. And when I feel good, it feels good to feel good. Uh, I start noticing in my body what's a yes and what's a no. Because, I mean, let's face it. We have 200 million neurons in our gut, approximately. That's the size of a cat or dog's brain. It's, it's no wonder that scientists are now calling our gut our second brain because there's an intelligence to when your stomach sinks or when you get butterflies. And so I think people need to first connect to themselves so they can start to feel those feelings because your body's constantly giving you feedback. You're feeling breadcrumbs, you're feeling nudges, you're feeling contractions, you're feeling nose inside of your body. And I think we've just uh, cut off from that because we're so burnt out. And when you're burnt out enough, you're literally working from a different brain. There's so many studies that show that your brain looks different on a scan. And that's why everything feels harder because it actually is.
0: And one of the things that you you mentioned in the book too is thinking about like what lit you up as a child. Like yeah. w- what and and so why is that so important that one of the keys to fulfilling work is thinking about what what you gravitated towards when you were younger.
3: I mean, when you're a kid, you're you're not thinking too much, you know? You're just in connection, you're just in curiosity. We learn to be afraid. We learn to look both ways when we cross the street. We learn not to touch the the stove when it's hot. And so I think what's so beautiful about looking at who you were as a kid is noticing where you felt a sense of expansion, where you naturally went towards. Um, Communication was always a knack for me. Even if I go, you know, not totally back as far as being a little kid, but my first job when I was 16, I worked at a preschool uh, over the summer and I was helping the chef, Uh, prepare meals for all the little kids uh, at lunchtime. And I noticed typos in the flyers at the school Mm. all the time. And so I used to go up to the front desk and say, hey, there's a typo. Hey, this is a run-on sentence. And eventually they started (laughs) to call me their eagle eye. And the thing is, is that who you are, what your gifts are, it, it always wins and it was always shining through. And so for me, I've always had a gift with words And it makes sense now that I'm a speaker and an author and all of these different things that mean so much to me. I'm being who I am. And it's such a beautiful feeling and what I wish for anyone to get paid for being you. Like, you don't need to be anybody else. And so many people feel so much shame, you know, for not being good at, you know, whatever it is, spreadsheets or whatever their job is making them do. (laughs) And the reality is, like, celebrate what you're not good at. Use it as feedback. And so... Um, this awareness for me of having a foundational core skill set with words has been something I've carried with me throughout my career. And that's why in my book, I talk about 10 different core skill sets that I believe exist in the workforce, words being one of them. And my argument in the is really just about focusing in on what is your number one core skill set? How has it shown up in your life? And if you're struggling to know what that is, you know, ask people in your life, when have you seen me at my best? When have you seen me at my best? You know, colleagues, parents, friends, and notice what people say to you. What skill are you using? Because that to me is the key to a fulfilling career is using a skill that is is a gift for you. And the research backs that you are, it feels good to be good at something. So there's mm-hmm. just more happiness when you're doing something you're good at and natural
1: that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's just a great way of putting it. And actually, yeah, this has been great hearing basically how you were able to to find your career, what basically lit you up. uh, And we're going to talk more about career and finding that job specifically uh, and how it is that our listeners, how they can find the careers uh, that feel authentic to them. So we'll get to all that right after this break. I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with, uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance, that's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers 37,025, and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded
0: to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. There's a lot of power in the
1: simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. Hey, folks, it's Matt. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Healthy Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids, that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me.
0: Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So
1: get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash money. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we're back from the break. We're still talking with Ashley Stahl
0: about you know, ditching a job that you hate, landing the job that you want. Actually, uh, some people are thinking as they're listening to this. um, One, you know, throughout COVID, man, I'm not just in a job that I hate. I'm in a career that I hate. Like, I don't want to do this at all anymore. Uh, Maybe, yeah, they're considering leaving the comfort of an industry that they they're familiar with. They've been working in like a decade or longer for something entirely new. So, like, what questions would you ask that person? How would you probe them to make sure that they're leaving for the right reasons? Um, And and then, yeah, like. If someone's looking to make a shift that big how do they do it
3: yeah i have a lot of different thoughts on this i mean the first thing is that people mistakenly buy into the belief that they need to quote unquote start over but the truth of the matter is that your skills that you've used in the past have relevance for where you're going in the future and it's just incredibly important that you are able to communicate about those you're able to find that thread So let's say you've been working in technology and you want to pivot into communications. You want to look at your jobs in the past like a pie chart and all many different slices of different things you're doing. You want to tune into the slice that has some sort of crossover with communications. Maybe you wrote manuals. Maybe you helped advise the marketing team on the product you created. Whatever it is, you want to tune into what that is so that when you have interviews or when you start networking... Or when you rewrite your resume, you are clear on what it is that you need to do or say that really clarifies and makes sense of why you're going the direction you're going. And as I talked about before, you know, you have the what of your career, meaning what skill you're using. That's what you carry with you throughout the course of your career. You know, people always ask me, should I stay or should I go? And I always tell them, you know, if you are honing and growing your core skill set in your job... You're golden. You're building something that you want to take with you throughout your work. The thing that people get confused on is more about the how of their career, Mm. meaning how they work. So... You know, right now we're seeing record numbers. Uh, More people are quitting their jobs than we've ever seen in two decades. And yet the rate of joblessness, like the length of time that people are spending jobless is very long, unusually long, which just tells me that people need to make sure they have a job in their hand before they leave their current job. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But that being said, it's like really understanding that people are leaving because they want to work on their terms. And it's so important to really understand yourself. How do you want to work? What do you value? If you value family or balance, what do those mean to you? You know, I think it's, it goes in people's love life too. People look for someone with the same core values as them, but they don't actually define their values. Like I had a client who told me adventure was his core value. And when I asked him what that meant, he told me it was skydiving. and adrenaline-seeking things. I had another client. She told me the same thing. Adventure is a core value. And when I said, well, what does that mean? You know, she lived in Miami. (laughs) She said to me, oh, it's trying new restaurants. And I was like, all right. (laughs) Different senses of adventure there. Exactly. So, I mean, I guess choose your adventure in this life, but (laughs) define your adventure too. And so the thing about your career is that a lot of people right now are not realizing that the reason they want to leave their job is not because of the job itself, the responsibilities they're doing. It's because of their boss, the culture, the people, the work environment. And so if that's the case, you need to know that because sometimes you're not meant to be making a career pivot. You're meant to be going to a different company. And it seems obvious, but it's not. And a lot of people get stuck in that. So that's the first step is, is it, the skill set I'm using, or is it the place that I am and how it's feeling for me? Um, You know, another thing with core values is people are notoriously not great at defining them. So after I talk about the 10 different core skill sets I think exist in the workforce, which obviously I can't obscure humanity into 10 core skill sets, but largely I think that this is where people tend to fit in. I talk about core values and the mistake people make when they try and figure out their values is they pick words that are aspirational. You know, like I had a client who was a really awesome, but also kind of high strung lawyer. And she told me, she'd always tell me I'm so high strung. And when we picked her core values, she chose the word peace. And I remember laughing on the phone and I was like, "Mm, that feels like an aspiration, (laughs) not a core value. And so it's so important that people are really honest with themselves of like, what are those top five words that are non-negotiable principles by which... I live my life. You know, in my case, self-expression is a core value. Anybody who's listened to me on my podcast or read my book, they're going to hear so much self-expression. Another one is freedom. And you're going to see that show up in my day-to-day life. I'm very free with my plans. I like to go travel whenever I want. Um, You know, it's just the key ingredients to who you are. So I think those two pieces of skill and values are so important to know before you start tuning into your career pivot.
1: Totally, yeah. And when it comes to those core, those core skills, actually, you know, you, I love what you said there too about n- it's not starting over, and yeah. how oftentimes we're building things that we will kind of change the shape of slightly. It's, it's like a piece of clay, and it's like, well, you know, it used to be a vase, but now it's a cup. Uh, <laughs> it, you're not changing it, you know, transforming it into something completely different. You don't have to dash it into pieces on the ground. Yeah. You can like reform yes, it exactly. Yeah. And I think that like it's often true with our money as well because we talk about being smart with your money and making those wise moves and investing for the future even when you don't necessarily know what it is that you're pursuing but having that there gives you options down the road you know that at some point you're going to have a change of taste you're going to have a change of plans you might even have overarching goals that are also going to shift and i think the same can be true when it comes to some of these different skills continue building but be open to the you know the idea that well it might look slightly different from now but just know that you're not starting from scratch i think i just wanted to point that out too for our listeners because oftentimes we don't know exactly what we want to do with our money, but it still makes sense to to kind of make those smart moves all along. Yeah, and that thought of starting over completely can be kind of demoralizing.
3: Yeah, it's a story people tell themselves in their head, and there's no such thing. You know, every first of all, if you ask any futurist who's really impacting um, the future of the workforce with their research, the number one thing you're going to hear is that soft skills matter right now to that to mm-hmm. to companies more than hard skills because we've got a certain percent of the workforce that will be replaced by robots. And so what that tells me is that who you are, how you navigate conflict, um, you know, how you work with other people, how you work remotely, these things matter even more than you might realize. So I think the mistake people make is not realizing that the problem is not your past or your pivot. It's how you talk about it because there's what you're saying and then there's the energy it's riding on. Um, and so if you go into an interview and you share the skills that you've used that are super relevant and super impactful, that's the TV station the person listening to you is tuned into with you.
0: Yeah. But yeah.
3: if you're making excuses, not so much.
0: Yeah. I um And I, I think, actually like tools can be so helpful in, in helping us kind of figure out what we're good at like sometimes i need a quiz or like to help yeah. me and, and you mentioned asking someone who knows you well like if i'm taking a quiz sometimes like a personality test i have to ask my wife all these questions well what am i like in this because it's hard for me to pinpoint it because um, but she has this like clear view of who i am that maybe i get muddled sometimes but i, I speaking of that I, like you have a career quiz on your site that i took and uh, i'm an entrepreneur according mm-hmm. to the test results mm-hmm. and I found that to be especially as you described it one it was a term I'd never really experienced before and it it was so incredibly accurate as I like you know g- uh, combed through the material that you sent my way um, and it told me a lot about how I work effectively and um, it just made me like thankful for the work position I'm in right now because <laughs> like Matt basically takes care of all the stuff I don't care about like I have all <laughs> these big ideas but I need some of that insulation from mm-hmm. just being a complete full-on entrepreneur but yeah like uh, can you tell folks like how a tool like that can be helpful? Why you have that quiz on your site and, and what that can do for people?
3: Yeah, I love that you took the quiz. That's so much fun. And it's so the idea behind the quiz is to help people start tuning into this argument that I have that it's all about your core skill set, because after the past 10 years of coaching hundreds of people one on one and then thousands online, this is the this is where the sauce is. This is where people are missing the mark. So I was excited to be able to ask questions about how somebody is gifted and be able to tell them what their gift truly is. Um, You know, the thing about quizzes is I hate to put people in boxes and tell them that's who they are because the truth of the matter is people are malleable and we change, and everybody's allowed to change. But I do like to get to the core of who someone is, and that's why even in my book you see the word core all the time. I talk about people's core nature, core skill set, And um, the intrapreneur actually falls under one of my 10 core skill sets, you know, so I said that words was my core skill set. But innovation is one of the core skill sets I talk about. And that is for the intrapreneur or the entrepreneur. And you understand usually which one you are if you're the creative self starter, the problem solver, the visionary. Um, But the difference between the entrepreneur and the intrapreneur is the entrepreneur needs all out freedom. They need creative freedom to work on their ideas. They need time freedom to work on their terms. Versus the intrapreneur doesn't necessarily always need to be working on their idea. They need autonomy to execute. Um, And they also have a different relationship with financial risk. They tend to have a different relationship than the entrepreneur uh, with flexibility versus freedom. They tend to just need flexibility, not all-out freedom. And so the world needs both of them. And it's so painful when I watch people being someone that they're not and forcing themselves to be an entrepreneur when maybe they're an intrapreneur. Mm. So I think the goal of my quiz and my book is to help people. um, I don't want to say stop wasting time because I really don't believe in wastes of time, but to really help people reconnect to the essence of what they really have to give in the workforce so they can stop stressing about their passions and their interests and instead realize that these things are a backdrop to their career you know Mm. like if you realize that your skill set is innovation and you're interested in wellness understand that your nine to five or whatever your hours are are gonna is gonna be about responsibilities that take you back to innovation most of the day and maybe you're innovating in the wellness space but you want to lead with that function which is what i really try to get people into with the quiz and with my book and the skill sets
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll we'll certainly make sure to link to that quiz specifically for everyone listening who's interested in taking that themselves. Uh, Actually, let's go ahead and get practical, like really practical when it comes to specific jobs. Uh, Let's talk about applying for jobs. A lot of folks out there won't actually apply for a job that sounds interesting to them because like they don't have enough experience. But you actually say that there is a, a pretty big myth about the necessity of experience. Like, yeah. Can you explain that? What do you mean by that?
3: I think it's important that everybody remembers that the person you're talking to on the other side of the phone or the Zoom or in person is an actual human being who is asking themselves the question, is this somebody that I want to work with? Is this somebody that matches the culture of where I staff people? Is this somebody that feels pleasant that I want to interact with on a day-to-day basis? Um, and, And so really, it's almost like we are so focused on regurgitating our resume that we forget that how we communicate and how we connect authentically is, is pretty much more important, if not equally important, to what we're saying. Um, so my first message is... You know, applying for jobs, it's not a total waste of time. I would say applying for a job without following up, getting on LinkedIn, figuring out who the recruiter is or the hiring manager is, letting them know you submitted your resume and you're really excited to hear from them, uh, possibly or be considered by them. That makes it much more worth your time if you are applying for jobs. But that's
0: like proactively applying for a job as opposed to just like tossing your resume their way.
3: Exactly. You don't want to spray and pray. That definitely <laughs> just doesn't give you the results. And right now we are living in a time where the amount of applications per opening is exploding. Hmm. We are in such a weird quagmire with hiring right now. We have more openings than ever, more joblessness than ever. And the reason I think is, is partially organizational. Uh, you take a look at companies who they removed the location of the job because they're accepting remote workers. Now they have you know applications coming from the whole world versus just their town Mm. and as a result the volume is so high that truly the way that you are going to get what you want and really have charge of your future is to cold network because you know a lot of people make the mistake of saying i'm going to network with family and friends that's cool that's good but when was the last time your friend's dad had the dream job that you actually want (laughs) you know so to me it's like come up with a list of companies you want to be at figure out who's hiring like who's in a role that could actually give you your dream job and really send personalized cold emails one after the next until you've had 20, 30, 40 conversations, which could mean 300, 400, 500 cold emails. But the thing is, is that life is a numbers game. And I write about my grandma, you know, I, I thread personal stories throughout my book, but I give a lot of career advice and tactical advice in it. And I write about my grandma, and she always used to tell me, like, if you knock on so many doors that your hands bleed, eventually somebody's always gonna answer. So that has been my approach to my career and networking
0: just yeah knocking knocking on as many doors as you can like yeah, going hard after it and i i agree i think you you, you have to you have to take that approach in in yeah. order to to land the job that you want you got to work hard but we, yeah actually we have a, a few more questions uh, for you we want to talk specifically about like Resumes. How you get a good resume? How do you develop that? And then networking. We got we got some more questions about networking because that is so important when it comes to um, getting that job that you that you want and that you're gonna love. So yeah, we'll get to those questions right after this.
1: If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make A Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your
0: money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed
1: that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit
0: betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago, and hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, Life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind, too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make
1: it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide
0: your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com.
1: All right, we are back, and we're talking with Ashley Stahl about ditching work that you hate and landing the job that you want. And it doesn't necessarily have to be work that you hate. You know, maybe it's just a job you don't particularly love. Maybe you're just a little bored. (laughs) (laughs) Not angry, just bored. Uh, Ashley, you know, like in your book, too, you talk about being fascinating. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that? What does it mean to be fascinating? What does it mean to, yeah, I mean, essentially draw the attention of somebody that has the power to lead your career to uh, higher places?
3: Well, one of the biggest mistakes that people make in their job hunt and in their networking efforts is not having an elevator pitch, meaning an answer to tell me about yourself. It's, it seems painstakingly obvious to know that you should be able to talk about yourself, but it's not because we don't often spend a lot of time being intentional about that. And according to research, uh, I was talking to someone who was on the research team over at Stanford, and he had told me that the most memorable human emotion you would think it would be love or connection, but it's awe, A-W-E, a sense of Mm. awe. So if you can create a sense of awe for someone, they will remember you. And what better way to do that than figuring out how you're gonna answer one of the most asked questions in networking and uh, interviews, which is tell me about yourself. And the thing about your elevator pitch is you need to train your ear to know when you're being invited into one. Because it can sound like many different things and wear many different costumes. It could sound like, tell me about yourself. What got you interested in this role? Why did you move here and and apply for this? Why did you leave your last job? It's all tell me about yourself. And um, I talk in my book about a four-step formula to answer the question, and one of the pieces of it that I open up with is your story. And a lot of people make the mistake of kind of regurgitating their resume, which I mean, come on now think about the recruiter they've heard this all day long they could see your resume so I like to take who you were as a kid and tie it to the career path you're choosing so for example um, I used to as, as soon as I could I got my first library card and I spent the whole day in the library and my mom would just bring her laptop and work there because she that's where I wanted to be and so I used to talk about how I was a little kid, or even at the beginning of this interview, how I always talked about the news was always on when I was a kid, that would have worked mm. at the Pentagon, walking in and they say, tell me about yourself. And mm. I say, well, I grew up in the house where the news was always on. And from a young age, I had an opinion about politics. That takes your career and it, and this job that you're applying for. And it says, this is not just a job for me. This is part of a mission. And people wanna feel connected to that. And hiring managers wanna feel like you're not gonna leave because even if that's their job, nobody likes to hire all the time. It costs companies a lot of money and training. (laughs) So if, I mean, companies are offering bonuses to refer people so that they can get out of hiring. You know, this just shows how much it's important that you can be memorable. So as far as being interesting, I am just committed to living a life where I am stimulated by myself and my life and I'm not seeking anyone else to fill that gap for me. And I'm always investing in my future self, whether it's financially or with my time or with my energy. So I would ask anyone now, what is that thing that you've always wanted to do for your future self that you're not doing? Like in my case, I want to take a poetry class online love poetry so much. I want to get back to learning more Arabic because I'm really rusty at it. I want to learn Spanish. There's so many things I want to invest in for my future self. And it, it makes me have more self-esteem because I show up for myself and I create who I am. And it also creates more value for me in the workforce in ways I could have never imagined. And so I think that that just brings color to who you mm-hmm. are. And anytime yes. you can bring color or awe, you're, you're killing it.
1: Yeah, and, and it's not disingenuous, right? Yeah. And so when it comes to talking to somebody who's interviewing you, when, you, when it comes to talking to an HR manager, you're you're providing a narrative for them to latch on to uh, that makes you stand out, essentially. And again, you're not saying to lie or to, to not tell the truth, but you're finding a way to color in the lines for them, for them to truly see how spectacular of a hire you could be. Uh, you know, When you have a color picture next to the same picture or something very similar that's in black and white, I mean... The colors going to be a lot more
0: interesting. Yeah. And when somebody looks good on paper, that doesn't always mean that they're the right fit. Kind of like you said earlier, you're talking about soft skills and it's like, those are important too. And like, who are you as a person? Yeah. Do I want to work with you? Do I think that you're going to, you know, do you not only have the required skills, but the like ability and the fortitude and the gumption to get the job done as well, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think what I really stand for is people to celebrate who they are and to be authentic because we go to bed with ourselves at night and it's so important that we like ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I, I want to ask you too like uh, you, you mentioned before the break about getting in touch with people who are doing the work you want to be doing. And I think that's like, a great suggestion, right? Not just to ask your friend's dad for a, a referral or for or you know to meet with meet with him for coffee uh, to do some networking, but to attempt to meet with the people that maybe even seem like they're going to be hard for you to get in touch with, or maybe they're not going to want to meet with you. It could result in a lot of no's or just in a lot of no responses. Like, how do you find those people though, and how do you reach out without looking like a weirdo or yeah, yeah. or a creep?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, my mantra with job hunting is high intention and low attachment. So mm. I, I would say, like my grandma told me, life is a numbers game. Just uh, do the numbers and don't attach to any of the applications or emails that you put out there and uh, I always tell clients to or people in my courses to treat the send button like the forget button but to use the same subject line for all of those emails so that you can search in your sent folder and follow up with all of them in a timely way hmm. like a week or two later so that all of those emails are searchable and you could see which ones actually got a response quite easily without having to have a complicated spreadsheet. But, you know, I would say um, just really remembering that life is a numbers game. And if you want to create results, the cool thing about that is that you are in charge of the numbers. And so I recommend anyone, you know, just put themselves out there in a way where they say, you know what, I'm going to spend an hour a day for the next month um, cold emailing. And the best way to do it, I think, is going on to uh, LinkedIn, And just using the advanced search to use keywords based on your skill set, put in your postal code if you want to stay within your city and just start uh, coming up with people's names that you would want to get in touch with people who inspire you. And even more powerful is to reach out to people who are alumni of your school or your high school. And what you can do with that is put your school into the advanced search on LinkedIn. And that way, when you tell people on email that you're an alumni, they're more likely to respond to you. So that's one of the hacks to get a much better Hmm. response rate.
1: Hmm. Kind of tap into that loyalty a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I mean, I will say that my last break, I guess, when it came to me changing careers, it was actually via social media, but there was also uh, a school tie there that I felt uh, kind of gave me a little bit of an edge. <laughs> I think it made that person more willing to get back to me in a in a positive way and and that actually ended up panning out. Yeah. Um, Ashley, let's talk about resumes and cover letters. They yeah, yeah they're they're important yeah. <laughs> in the job application process. And so w- what are most folks doing wrong when it comes to those?
3: Well, I mean, I love that you're bringing up cover letters because they're still not dead, and I think a lot of people think they are, but they're not. Yeah, Yeah, a cold email can replace a cover letter if that's how you're networking, but job applications still require cover letters. And the thing about them is the research indicates that most recruiters do not read the cover letter, but they do acknowledge the existence of them. Uh I believe it was in the 90s percentage wise that they want to see it there. Uh, They also use it when they're on the fence about you. The cover letter is what kicks them off of the fence. One of the mistakes people make with their cover letter is they're too... um, like salesy, they're trying to prove themselves for the role versus just showing results. So I like cover letters that have three to four bullets, you know, in them saying, here are some accomplishments that relate to your vacancy that I'm really excited about or proud of. And sharing some bullets of very high results and ROI that you've created. And if you can't quantify it, you know, do the best you can. Um, If you can put percentages or outcomes, I think it's really important to be able to show that. As far as resumes go, it's the same thing. There's not enough results. There's too much job description. Your resume is a marketing document that is here to highlight your relevant experience. Underline the word relevant. So, you know... The fact that you had to research cat videos or whatever you had to do in your marketing (laughs) job, maybe that's not relevant for the next job. So you want to look at where you're headed and write your resume from that mindset. Uh, Another thing is to look at every single bullet under every single job on your resume and make sure the first verb you're using is a power verb. Too many people are using words like assist, help, support, and they're not using words that really reflect their power and their capabilities. So for example, instead of the word help, um, help manage, maybe you could say co-managed. Instead of the word um, edited, you could say authored. Um, It's just really using words that show leadership, that show initiative, because that really skews. And then, you know, the way people think about you. And another tip is to make sure your first bullet under every single job is your most powerful one because according to heat mapping studies, recruiters are literally looking at the place you worked, the title you had, and the first bullet, and then they're moving on to the next one. Mm -hmm. So you want that first one to be really powerful.
0: It's kind of like reading just the headline of an article and people think they know what they're talking about, right? It's like exactly the same thing that hiring managers are doing is they're looking for that, you know, that upper level information. And if it resonates, they're going to make the call um, and, and maybe bring you in for an interview. So let's talk about what it looks like then to land the interview that can be daunting. How do you make the splash to get a job in the interview? How do you stand out? And also in particular with more interviewers uh, taking place virtually, that adds another element to it, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously having a professional environment and good lighting and all of that stuff creates trust. So take some time to make sure your Wi-Fi connection is good. The average house has 13 devices connected to their Wi-Fi, and that can result in a slower connection. So do what you can to make sure you're set up well virtually. Understand what the dress code is at the company and show up in that dress code on the screen. Um, And then as far as really wowing the interviewer, it's really important. Obviously, we talked about your elevator pitch, knowing how to talk about yourself But making sure that you have questions at the end of the interview really makes Mm. you stand out and it shows engagement, especially when you can obviously be authentic about it. So one of my favorite questions to ask hiring managers is if I was wildly successful in this job, you know, in the next six months, what are some results that you would be seeing or what would be better in the company because of me? I love that because it gets the employer to start thinking about what they really want and associating you with those results and people always feel more confident because it's for employers, hiring is a bit of a transaction. It's like, these are the results we wanna pay for and this is the price we wanna pay for them. Who's the right fit to do it? Who gets it? Uh, Another thing that you wanna do to prepare is one of the most common questions in interviews that people also haven't prepared for in addition to your elevator pitch is the simple prompt of walk me through your resume. People will say, walk me through your resume. And it's really scary for people when their nervous system takes over. So what you want to do before your interview is look at every job, think about what you're interviewing for, and write in the margin of your resume so you can practice what is an achievement, an impact, or a skill, or all three of those in each job that is really relevant for where you're headed that you can talk about as it relates to your past job and where you're headed.
1: I love that. It just makes it a little more practical, um, mm-hmm. Ashley. And so we're going to wrap this thing up. But, you know, do you have any final words of encouragement for folks? Maybe they've done all these steps uh, or a lot of them that you've, you've already talked about. Maybe they've interviewed, but they are not landing anything. Uh, you know, they're still not sure what they should be doing next. What encouragement do you have for those folks?
3: Yeah, I mean... Honestly, there's always still time unless you're in your late 70s and getting closer to retirement time. You have years and probably decades left of your career. It's not too late to switch. It's not sometimes backing up does not mean backing down. And so I would say anybody who's listening, I hope that this conversation or even reading my book or listening to my work is a permission slip for them to realize that it's never too late to be who you are and to remember that who you are always wins. So you're going to have to rip the bandaid now and be who you are. You're going to have to rip the (laughs) bandaid and cry later about it. But you want to face it now because, I mean, that is really the joy of life.
1: It's more productive. You could do it now and move on with life or you can do it 30 years from now in counseling. uh, (laughs) Exactly. And there's a little bit less you can do about it at that point. Right, right. Yeah. Ashley, where can our listeners find
0: out more about you and what you're up to?
3: I'm so excited that we had this conversation, and my book is available everywhere books are sold, so that's a good spot to start. It's called U-Turn, Y-O-U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career, and it's bright yellow sunbeam that will come into (laughs) your life. And then also I'm on the U-Turn podcast doing solo episodes a lot lately about career and life, and I would love to connect with people there, and of course Instagram, at my name, Ashley Stahl.
0: That's great. Ashley, well, this it was a pleasure to have you on uh, the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you again for having me
1: holy crap, what a, <laughs> an excellent conversation you know, that we just had here with Ashley. She just had so much knowledge to bring, so many great tips, uh, and such a great way of looking at pivoting in your career, You know, looking for something completely new, uh, or even just practically speaking, landing a new job. She had so many great nuggets of wisdom, Joel, but what was one that stood out to you? Yeah, man, th- there was a lot of great stuff in that conversation. I really appreciate
0: Ashley taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, one of the things that she said uh, in this combo was being a
1: good good consumer of something doesn't, doesn't make, make you, you a, a good, good producer. producer. Is so, that what you're going to say, so too? you said that if I chose yours, you would change yours. So you're going to change yours? Oh, is that, is that what you're going to pick? <laughs> you go with that one. I'll okay. pick something new. All right. So yeah, I thought that was like really, really important for people to hear. Yeah. And I think
0: that follow your passion thing is something that people get hung up on so much, uh, especially maybe people uh, in the younger generations, folks, especially in their 30s and 40s. Um, and, and I don't know if it's the same for folks in their 20s or not, but um, I feel like that is a message that has been taught But just because you like something doesn't mean you're good at it or doesn't mean that you're actually going to be fulfilled by doing that. And so I think that is a really important thing for people who are pursuing a job to think about fulfillment in work comes in many different ways. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily just come from loving the the industry or loving the particular product that you're working on. You know, you might love Hershey's chocolate, but not enjoy working at the Hershey's chocolate plant. <laughs> like those are two different things. You might love listening to podcasts, but not enjoy producing one, right? Like um, th- there's just so many different things that have to that should go into that decision that you're making about which re- direction that you're gonna pursue when it comes to work. I mean, I think sometimes maybe we simplify it. Too much, and that's to the detriment of somebody who's out there in the workforce trying to find
1: something that they are drawn to that they're going to enjoy uh, actually getting a paycheck from. That's right. And around then, Ashley also said to just ask your friends, ask those who know you the best, uh, when am I at my best? Uh, and if you're having a difficult time kind of figuring out what direction you should go in, that is a great place to figure out how to be yourself and how to hopefully align that with a career. Uh, so I got to find a new one here, Joel, since you stole mine, <laughs> but that's totally fine. One of the other things things Ashley mentioned was when she was just talking about cold emailing, kind of cold calling, getting out there. She said to make sure to be high intention, but low attachment. Mm which I think is just excellent advice, especially for somebody like me. I feel like I tend to have the opposite, <laughs> where I have like, I don't, I don't want to say I have low intention. I have like low quantity, though. Like, I feel like there's a few things I'll latch onto in a very drastic sort of way, which it's like the complete opposite of Ashley, which she, she's basically saying, just go for it. Uh, look at what's out there. Cast your net wide and see what it is that you can pull in. It also, it kind of... It's a numbers game, is what she it's said. It's a numbers game, yeah. That's what a grandma says. <laughs> uh, but it kind of makes me think Think of how we talked about travel recently, which is instead of committing to say, "Oh, I really want to go to Istanbul," or, you know, or like somewhere very specific, that would be an example of having a very high attachment uh, to that location. And instead, hey, instead look to see where the deals are, and then maybe you can transfer your attachment from maybe this one city that, that you're interested in to this other city where you could save a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, I think the same thing is 100% true when it comes to looking for a new job. Apply to a lot of different jobs. See what you hear back from and then from there you can make an informed decision. I love how what she said too about you know the send button when it comes to emails. I'll call it the forget button. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she send that email. Uh, don't worry about it. Like It shouldn't be weighing on you mentally. That was great. Some great words of wisdom for me to hear because oftentimes I think I can, I don't know, I get too emotionally invested uh, on projects or things that I am interested in. And instead, maybe I should kind of scale that back a little bit. But at the same time, don't forget it in the sense that you forget to follow up, because that's also an important part of uh, checking in afterwards. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's going to make it
0: easier to be less attached is the more emails you send, the harder it is going to be (laughs) to be attached to any particular one, right? If you send 2000 emails to people cold calling, trying to connect. yeah, Yeah. You're like, well, they're one out of this, you know, sea of people that I'm trying to reach out to, I'm trying to connect with, I'm trying to, you know, set up a coffee, <laughs> coffee date with, or just a zoom call, or even just an email back and forth relationship to try to get some advice. So yeah, I think casting your net wide is, is wise advice when it comes to yeah pivoting and um, finding uh, and building your network. So, all right, Matt, let's move back to the beer that we had on this episode today on the show. We drank uh, Sierra Nevada hazy little thing IPA. Uh, what was your take on this beer, man? Well, I, first of all, I love that. This is a beer that I think pretty much anybody can find in their local grocery store. Oh, yeah, I think Sierra, Nevada distributes to all 50
1: states from um, at least my knowledge. Yeah, oftentimes we kind of uh, hone in on a very super obscure niche beer (laughs) (laughs) that one of us picked up in person at this backwoods brewery. Uh, And it might be excellent, but that doesn't mean that everyone can get their hands on it. This is I feel like a fantastic introduction to hazy IPAs. Uh, It's not a West Coast IPA. it's, It's got more of that Uh, New England style, hazy style to it, which means it's just going to be a little bit sweeter. Obviously, it's hazy, not super clear. Uh, But since it's, I don't know, since it's more of a macro, widely produced beer, it doesn't have a lot of uh, those interesting hops aromas and flavors kind of going on in the background but it is still just a really fantastic clean. I feel like that's one of the words that stands out in my mind. It's a very clean drinking IPA. And so I think that lends kind of like a, a freshness to it that I really enjoy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what would you think about it? Well, I feel like the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is kind of like uh, one of the most classic beers out there, right? Mm-hmm. It's been in bottles
0: uh, for over, I don't know, like over 25 years? Sierra Nevada's been around a long time. And so that's what craft beer nerds were drinking before we had like the wide variety that we have now. And I feel like this is actually kind of like a new modern classic from Sierra Nevada. It's a really good beer for what it is. Like if you're not expecting one of those over the top IPAs, it's just like insanely hopped, right? Like then I think you're really gonna enjoy this one. I've gotten used to some of those IPAs, Matt, that are over the top. Um, But I really like going back to this one. This one has actually kind of become a fridge staple for me lately because I want something that's a little more relaxed, it's a little more chill, that's pretty affordable. And I feel like this, actually, this uh, beer, this IPA really fits that bill. So
1: I'd recommend people pick it up at their grocery store, uh, Sierra Nevada. They make good beers. Yes, they do. And that's going to be it for this episode. Listeners can find our show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. And we will make sure to link to some of the different resources that we mentioned uh, during this interview, during this talk here with Ashley. Uh, And if you haven't left us a review yet, we would be incredibly thankful if you went over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows. Leave us a solid review over there and that helps us out. So, Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.
2: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you.
2: I don't know what that means.
3: It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network.
2: For kids! (laughs)
3: Download the Zigazoo app today.
0: When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option
1: to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, Normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.